Okay, so Ecclesiastes chapter. Let me get, find my place. Chapter two, verse one. I said in mine heart, "Go to, go to now. I will prove thee with myrrh. Therefore, enjoy pleasure, and behold, this also is vanity." I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what does it, what doeth it? I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was that good for the sons of men, what they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. I made me great works, I builded me houses, I planted me vineyards, I made gardens, I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. I heard me pools of water, I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and, and have the servants born in my house. Also I have great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasures of kings and that of uh, and, and of provinces, I got men, got me men to sing and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. From my purpose, from for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works of that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to come before you, Lord. And as we read this passage, Lord, we were reminded, Lord, that sometimes our physical needs and desires take, take precedence in our life, and it shouldn't. Lord, we want to remember, Lord, that, that all of these things that, that uh, um, Solomon wrote, Lord, as he has con- concluded in verse 11, was all is vanity. And Lord, uh, the things that's not vanity is your word and your spirit and your truth and the relationship that we have with you, Lord. And I pray, Father, that all of us would uh, always put those before the things that we desire. Uh, too many things, Lord, we, we want for ourselves, and we put that in front. And I pray, Father, you'd help us to prioritize correctly according to your will and according to your spirit and according to your word. And Lord, we do pray for um, uh, Judy Steele. We lift her up to you, Lord, and ask you to heal her body. We pray for Bobby Jablesky uh, Bobby and, and the, her pending surgery and Steve Morford and and uh, Sharon Bolkin and Lord, just everybody that's on our list of praying, not just this list, but the, the church-wide list. And Lord, we have a lot of people that we want to pray for, and we always remember. We're thankful that we can pray. We ask your blessing on this on this this day as we read the Word and we pray the Word, and uh, we see the Word work. And we just give you all that honor and glory in Jesus' name. Solomon, that wisdom is to uh, fear you and 
all the things that we put our hands to that just bring your glory, Lord, is, um, is, is really vanity. And Lord, uh, teach us from your word this morning that we can understand the true wisdom to apply it to our heart, our mind, our feet, and to do your work. Uh, Lord, we, we do pray for uh, Bob Klein and uh, his health condition, Lord, that you would work through the positions uh, that lift him up to you. Lord, I just want to say thank you, Lord, for um, the things that we struggle with in life. So whether they're good or bad, we need to be thankful, Lord, to you, that they're always teaching us something, Lord, but also uh, that we need to, uh, I want to say thank you for <clears throat> the men that and the women with the infirmities that continue to just come here and, and worship you, Lord. Through other hardships, Lord, that they are they are an example of who we should be, that they love you no matter what they go through, and no matter what's going on in their life, Lord, that uh, sometimes we want to go into a, a battle of bitterness, which is uh, sometimes overlooked by what other people go through, that you know, uh, we should just be thankful that we have the life that we have, or whether it's hard or whether it's not so hard but uh, it's, it's all for your for your glory and your honor and Lord I just want to pray over uh, marriage conference coming up Lord that uh, whoever is there uh, gets the uh, it's what they need in their marriage Lord so they can uh, fix the things that need to be fixed uh, but also pray for the people that are ministering to others and just um, taking the time out of their busy schedules to um, set forth uh, time uh, to go and in deep and dive in your word. So Lord, we just thank you and praise you. Lord, I want to pray for our country, mm -hmm. for America. I want to pray for the people in Ukraine that break mm -hmm. my heart every night in the news. Just watch a wall, Lord. Let, let your sovereignty be known. Father, I want to lift uh, Barry Army up to you right now, Lord. Um, just ask that you put your protective arms around her and uh, help her heal. Lord, I also want to pray for Sonny Ferguson. God, she's been having such a terrible time trying to get back on her feet. And uh, she needs your, your love and your uh, care over her right now, God. Father in heaven, Lord, as we conclude in prayer, we're just thankful that we, again, as we had the privilege of coming before the living God and, and uh, uh, petitioning, Lord, our, our heart's needs, Lord, and, and the wants of, of all of us, Lord, that others, as we've named names, Lord, that we want them to be healed, we want them to be saved, we want them to be uh, um, uh, restored back to health, Lord, and we just ask all of those things in your Son, Jesus Christ's name, we thank you for it all in, Jesus, in his name. Amen. Amen. Uh, real quick, uh, I just realized as I was looking at my notes that um, I, uh, on your handout, if you have one, uh, 
This the, the permanence of preservation is what I have written here, but that was last week. I just didn't edit and update that. It should be the justice of our of justice, the justice of our preservation today. That's what we want to talk about. We're in Psalm chapter fifty-eight, so let me turn it over there. And um, so I think the Lord has given me peace about where to go after we finish this little study on uh, <coughs> preservation. And uh, so um, we're going to be, we're going to jump into the book of Colossians. Um, that'll be probably two, three weeks from now. I'm not sure exactly when we'll start, but uh, um, not probably more of three to four than two to three. So anyway, just uh, that's kind of where we're going to go. We're going to go to the book of Colossians. It's a short book, uh, interesting book, and um, dealing with a lot of a lot of things that uh, we need to look at as a church. Okay, so Psalm chapter fifty-eight, and uh, we'll just as you read the header that that superscript header. Uh, it says, uh, David describeth the nature of the wicked to the chief musician, Altakish, Mictum of David. And two of those words we, we're, we've seen already a couple times, the word Mictum. Um, so we're looking at that, another Mictum song, or psalm. And uh, you know, we talked about in the last couple of weeks that that word means, uh, it's, it, it literally is translated as an engraving or something to make permanent, as if the words of Psalm of David is made permanent. And many people seem to think that he etched these the 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 verse the verses in in stone, you know, either carved them in stone or wood or something, make it permanent. So he always had access to it, and he prayed these these were his prayers. These were his his uh, desire to pray uh, and and to remember remember his relationship with God uh, through these these songs that he wrote. Uh, so while he's writing something very personal, he wanted this to be a preserved uh, psalm statement from him, but he also wanted us all to have access to it as a reminder of the condition that he found himself in, and many times the condition that we find ourselves in as well, uh, the, and the commitment as well. So, so it's his situation and the commitment that God has made. Uh, so many times we... we uh, Something happens in our life, and it's really easy uh, to say, "Why did God let that happen to me?" or "What's going on?" or "You know, what, did He forget me?" or "Where is God?" That kind of stuff. And so, this song is really one of those to remind David that God is God's commitment to him is still there; it hasn't gone away. And so, for us, it's, it's an amazing thing uh, for Christians. I mean, I understand the world. It's like you know, always wants to say, "Well, where's God in all of this? Why is you know there's evil in the world? Why why where's God?" We're going to talk about that in a series we're going to do on apologetics here in, a, in um, after vision conference. That's on a Wednesday night study. Um, but you know the answer to the question, or the question is always, you know, well, if there's so much evil in the world, why where, where's God? Why didn't God do something about it? So we'll talk about that among other things as well. Um, but those are challenges, and David says David wants you to know. God wants you to know in this psalm that he still his commitment to you has not changed. No matter what's going on in your life, his commitment hasn't changed. So if you think his commitment hasn't changed, really, and this is what I tell myself, and I'm telling you what I'm telling myself, I have told myself this many times, you know, especially in the last couple of years, God hasn't forgotten about me, and if I think he has, it's my problem. 
It's me that thinks that. It's not God. God, I mean, I pray every day. You know why? Because God hasn't left me. I have access to the living God. And we should never forget that. And David is trying to make sure you understand the justice in this in this this particular song of your preservation. You're you're just to know you're preserved. You are just. You have the right to know you're preserved. And that's what this is kind of about. So just like in Psalm chapter fifty-seven, we see the word al-takish, uh, which is the word. I'm probably not pronouncing it correctly. Tashkit. I don't know. Anyway, don't even try. Um, so the word means to destroy not. To destroy not. So as you read that, that that superscription, it says, To the chief musician, destroy not my permanent heart, my permanence with God. So, kind of how he's, he's using that. The one thing that we don't see in this psalm, we've seen a lot of psalms, but we don't always see them, is is what I would say is a historical reference. Remember last, last week, we had a historical reference that when David was in the cave. And uh, no, it doesn't. There's no. There's no indication that when this psalm was written, or what motivated him to write this psalm. And so, um, you know, one thing so we can see that it's not there. But while we can't be sure when he penned this psalm, there are some things that we can be sure of. We can be sure that it speaks out against injustice and wrongdoing, and it just speaks out against that. Now, some think that David wrote this. You know, they wanted to kind of put it in the historical context. Some people think that he wrote this. After becoming king in Second Samuel, when when uh, Saul was killed at the end of First Samuel, uh, he was he was uh, killed on the battlefield, uh, and then uh, uh, David became king in the, in Second Samuel, uh, and so then he realized just how unjust how unjust the the past uh, administration was, and I so think about that is like now. You look at our own political system, and by the way, thank you for praying for our country. We need to all keep that before us, uh, and, and the rest of the world. Um, we've got some, um, just, as, just a side note here, so I've got some Bibles that, are be, that will be sent to uh, our missionary in Hungary uh, very soon, and we just finished some uh, John and Romans that will be sent there as well, and so we're going to try to figure out how to get them there. But uh, so, so be praying that that, that, that scripture, those, that word makes it to those two, those missionaries there that can use that because uh, those countries, as you all know, you know, immigrants or refugees are flowing into all of those countries. Um, so anyway, I kind of lost my train of thought now. But OK, so as the administration takes over, you know, they come in they, and they, you know, every 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 president, you know, he's makes changes right away because he finds, I don't like this, I don't like that, this is wrong, this is right, whatever, and he makes a bunch of changes. And David, is that's kind of where David was at. He comes in, he finds out how, how corrupt and, and, and how abusive of the power of, of being a king it was Saul and his court. And just as an example, um, just how, how Saul's injustice would be, if you turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 22, just, I just want to just look at this, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but... 1 Samuel 27, this is, this is how corrupt Saul was. This is a reminder, and this is why some people think that David, when he came into office and became the king, he's like, man, I can't believe what they did. I can't believe what Saul used, what, what, what behavior he was. But 1 Samuel chapter 22, starting in verse 13. And I'm just going to read down through, through verse 18. 
Well, okay. Anyway, Saul, First Samuel twenty-two, verse thirteen. And Saul said unto them, unto him. Um, I, I would let me back up to verse eleven. Then the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priest, and all that were in Nob, the city of Nob. And they came, and all of them to the king. And Saul said, Here now, thou son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said unto him, Why hast thou conspired against me, thou and the son of Jesse, in that thou hast given him bread and a sword, and hast equipped, uh, inquired of God for him, and did, that he should rise against me, to lie in wait at, uh, as it is this day? Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who is so faithful among all the servants of David, which is the king's son-in-law, and goeth at, his, uh, goeth at thy biding, and is honorable in thine house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Be it far from me, lest let not the king inquire or, or impute anything against his servant, nor to all the house of my father. For thy servant knew nothing of all of this, lest less or more. Basically what's happening here, Saul is chasing David. He found out that David went to Nob and Ahimelech the priest helped him out. It wasn't that he helped him out. He did what he thought he would do because he didn't know that he that, Saul, that David was actually running from Saul and Saul wanted his death. Not, Ahimelech didn't know that. So he brings out Ahimelech and he says, why did you help him? And he says, well, because he's your servant. Why wouldn't I help him? And and now Saul, Saul gets mad. He gets even madder at this. And the king said, Thou shalt surely die, Ahimelech, thou and all thy father's house. Verse 17, And the king said unto the footmen that stood about him, Turn and slay the priest of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when he, would, he, when he fled and did not show it to me. But the servants of the king would not put forth their hand, to fall upon the priests of the Lord. At least they were smart enough not to do anything. But that's how evil, that's how corrupt the king, the king was at this time. He said, hey, I'm going to kill you. But look at verse 19 real quick. And Nob, the city of the priests, smote he with the edge of the sword. He killed everybody in the city. Not just the priests, but he killed everybody in the city of Nob. That's how evil um, Saul was at the time. So David comes into office. So some people think David comes into office. Now that's just that's an evident one. This 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 preserved for us in in history in the story of of 1 Samuel. But the point is that I'm making here is that David took over. He found out that that, that there was un, unjust behavior all the time. That's one example of what people think it, that uh, that David wrote this particular psalm, Psalm 58. Still others say that David. He, he decried the corruption of the governing body. And basically, the body was taking bribes all the time. There was the First Samuel 22, we don't need to turn there. I'll read it to you. He says, Saul said unto his servants that stood about him. Here, this is several chapters after, um, or several, well, this is before he kills, not, kills the, the priest. He says, uh, that stood about him. Here now ye Benjamites, with the, will the son of Jesse give... Every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds. So basically, he's, he's accusing them of, of bribery and, and uh, deceit and such. So in truth, but here's the point. There is no point. The point is, 
it doesn't matter what the identity of the events are surrounding this song. It really doesn't matter for us. Because we're here today. But, it, but injustice is evident throughout the Old Testament. And injustice is also evident in, in our lives today. We, we, we see it. We experience it sometimes injustice. And I hate to say it, but sometimes we are the source of injustice. And we have to be careful about that. But in any case, the cry to destroy not is one of David, that, that David is applying to himself as we see in the, as we'll see in this psalm, he's applying to destroy not himself. He has to check himself, destroy not. You know, sometimes we get so angry with some people that we want them destroyed. Mm-hmm. And I'm making a point now, but we'll, I'll roll back to this here, this thought towards the end. Uh, sometimes we just want people, all, we want their destruction. We, and our desire for their destruction is an unjust behavior sometimes. And that's a hard thing for us sometimes because we want vengeance. But who, belong, who does vengeance belong to, the Bible says? We have to keep that in mind as well. One final uh, significant observation about this song. This is, a, this is something that's also a little bit different. I'm kind of leading into that. I have led into it. Is the word imprecatory. Uh, I think you got a, a spacer there. Yeah, it, it defines you. So basically, an imprecatory psalm is one to, it means, the word imprecatory or imprecation means to call down or to invoke a curse on your enemy. Basically, you know, when you pray, oh God, just just kill them, God. Just destroy them, God. That's that's an imprecation. Uh, That's you desiring that God would strike them dead. Be careful with that. Be really careful with that. I'll tell you why here in a little bit, but maybe you already know. So one final significant operation is in the trajectory. The word means, let me catch up myself with my notes again. So David calls on God to render the injustices performed by the wicked in this chapter and destroy them. But let me give you the caution. Using these kind of prayers today should only be done against your spiritual enemies. Never against your physical enemies. Ephesians, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. But we wrestle against what? Not against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We we wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. If you're going to pray that God strike down something or someone, that it be a spiritual battle, not, oh God, take out my enemy. Oh God, I want to win first place. Oh God, make all those people lose so I can be first place. No, those kind of prayers. Don't do that. Praying imprecations on a human foe is unjustifiable and should not be taken lightly. To ask God to destroy someone is to ask the creator of the universe to unleash his untold spiritual power upon a created being. Think about that. When you say God destroy them, you're literally saying God unleash yourself on that person. Destroy him. That's, you're, asking, you're asking God to just like cut loose and wipe them out. And that's a, that's a very serious thing. Avoid it if you can. Because really, what should we be praying for? Somebody who is our enemy right now? We should be praying for their salvation. Praying for God to turn their heart if they're already saved. If they're already saved, they shouldn't be your enemy anyway. But if they are, pray for them to turn their, that God would turn their heart back to where it needs to be. So that's kind of an introduction really to this whole thing here. Starting in verse 1. This David writes, Psalm 58. I'm just going to read the first four verses. Do you indeed righteous, 
Do you indeed speak righteousness, O congregation? Do you judge uprightly, O ye sons of men? Yea, in heart ye work wickedness. Ye weigh the violence of your hands in the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go, they go astray as soon as they, are, they be born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf adder that stoppeth her ear. We'll pause right there. So, David is beginning, he, he's challenging, he's asking kind of a sarcastic kind of a question. Uh, he, you know, when he says that, he's, do you indeed speak righteousness, O congregation? Are you righteous? Do the words that come out of your mouth, church, are they, are they righteous? Well, they should be, but sometimes they're not. And David is challenging the enemy here and saying, do you speak rightly? Uh, do you judge uprightly? And talking about judgment, you know, as a king, obviously Saul was not judging righteously. And so he's questioning that, he's challenging that. So let me just say this. Justice is only justice when actions are compared to God. When you put your actions up against God and they look like God, then you're just. But if, you're, if your actions don't look like God, then you're not just. You, you can say you're just all day long, but God knows you're not just, and in your heart you all probably already know you're not just. Anymore. We all desire justice. We don't want to be treated unjustly, nor do we want to see justice trampled. But that sometimes happens. At the start of the psalm, David is challenging the unfair, the unjust nature of our enemy. But before we do, I'm going to give you a couple of quick things about justice. What does justice look like? So let me give you three principles, and there's probably many more you could come up with out of the scripture. But let me just give you three for the sake of this, this discussion this morning. First, justice speaks righteously. It speaks righteously. According to Psalm chapter 119, verse 160, it says, Thy word is true. From the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. So there's a justice, uh, uh, a righteous justice, and it speaks justly. It speaks righteously. Second Timothy chapter four verse eight, Paul writes: Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which is the Lord. And notice he says, the righteous judge. The righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto those that love his appearing. So, speak righteously. And not only do you need to speak righteously, basically speaking the word, one of the reasons we pray the word back on Sunday mornings to God and claim his, his passages is because we're, we're trying to pray righteously. And we should use his word to, to remind ourselves of that. Number two is that we should not be a respecter of persons. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Because when, when Peter was preaching in chapter 10 of Acts to Cornelius, he said, Wow, God likes the Gentiles too. God cares for the Gentiles too. God saved the Gentiles too. He realized, he's like, well, That's got to be right. If God did it, then it's got to be right, and I'm going to do it too. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 19 says, Then shall, uh, thou shalt not rest judgment. Thou shalt not respect persons, neither take a gift. That would kind of back to the whole thing about bribery and such. For a gift doth blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the hearts of the righteous. So some people want you to buy, you, buy your justice, buy your righteousness. Don't let that happen. Uh, in fact, reject that. Uh, you know, some, too many times, pastors of churches have been bought out. And uh, 
turn their righteousness against what really is happening. Not just pastors, though. I say pastors, but let me just say, so do, so do Christians. You know, we, we allow that, uh, uh, our righteousness, our, our justice, to be, to be bought. And we shouldn't do that. Uh, one more verse, James 2.9. If you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. And number the third thing is that we need to rule, we need to judge, we need to, we need to operate in the sight of God, as if we are in the sight of God, because, by the way, you are in the sight of God all the time. You can't go anyplace where God isn't there. You can't hide from God. God is with you everywhere you go, everything you do. He sees you. 2 Samuel 23, verse 3, The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake to me, he that ruleth over men must be just. I think I had another part of that verse here, but it got deleted. So anyway, okay, that's verses 1 and 2. That's the, the thrust of where we're going with this. And then in verses 1 and 2, David sees the injustice of the current king and the way he has been treating others and the way that David was being treated as well. And he calls them, he calls them out. He challenges their opinion of themselves. He challenges the word they speak. He's speaking kind of directly to Saul, but he's really talking to everybody, and we should take heed from what he's saying. So David's challenge is as valid today as it was then. Who do you think you... Are the things that you say just? Are the things you say righteousness? We evaluate. We need to evaluate those kind of things. What do we speak? What about us? What, what do we speak? Is it righteousness? Is it justice? Can we... Can we take a scripture and say, I'm doing, I'm saying it this way because this is what the verse says. What kind of speech do you use? Harsh, soft, gentle, graceful, merciful, mean? Which one? Or comes out of, what, what, what type of speech comes out of your mouth? What are you saying both with your words and with your actions? The bottom line question that David is asking is righteousness in your house. Is righteousness there? Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, The Lord said to Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for, the, for thee have I seen righteousness before me in this generation. The reason that, Gen, that Noah and his family were saved was because they spoke and acted and, and reflected righteousness. And he says in the second part of verse 1, Do you judge uprightly? Let me just say, if you speak righteousness, upright judgment follows very closely behind in unison. You can't speak righteousness and judge falsely. Well, you probably can, but you shouldn't. I think if you're speaking righteousness, justice, the uh, upright judgment just kind of follows hand behind. So, so we're, that's kind of where we're going with, with this. That's what David is starting off with. Then, start, then in verses 2 to 5, uh, he's going to identify the unjust. Now, we, as I've said before, there's no indication of who specifically David is talking about here, but we know that they meet the criteria of being unjust. When we see, that he's, I mean, he's defining for us them. So I'm going to read 2 to 5 this time. Um, starting in verse 2, Yea, in heart ye work wickedness. Ye weigh the violence of your hands in the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf adder that stoppeth her, her ear, which will not hearken to the voice of charmers, charming never so sweetly. So he's identifying them. Verse 2, there's the failure of the unjust. 
In their heart, they work wickedness. Wickedness, I mean, we know what the verse says in, John, in Jeremiah. I think everybody's familiar. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is desperately wicked. Or, I'm sorry, deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's our heart. We have to change our heart. How do we change our heart? We change our heart by doing and speaking righteousness and judgment. Uh, you know, that's, that same concept was quoted by, or nearly quoted by Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 7, verse 21. From within, out of the heart of men, proceedeth evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, and so on. So, it's our heart. We have to correct our heart. Their failure in their heart has the wrong contents. That's their problem. They had the wrong contents in it which include deceit and evil thoughts and sin and so forth. You have to put stuff in your heart that is righteousness and judgment to replace all of those evil things in your heart. The only way you can do that is to get with God. And First off, if we're going to pray, if we're going to pray an imprecatory prayer on anybody, it ought to be ourself. It ought to be ourself. God, destroy me in my wickedness and raise me back up in my righteousness that is your son. That's, that's the kind of place we should go. I mean, we should never ask God to destroy somebody else uh, until, until we are right, until the words that we speak is ri- are righteousness and, judge- and uh, righteous judgment. In verse 3, he goes on, he, he, he describes them, he says they are estranged, they go astray. I think everybody's familiar with the word estranged, but just so let me give you a definition. They turn aside and they depart from justice. They turn aside and depart from justice. To go astray, that simply means to wander instead of rest. You know, people that are wandering in their minds and in their hearts about it, and they're not at rest, they're wandering, and they're, they're, they have gone astray. Uh, and uh, so we need, to, we need to get ourselves back where we need to be. In verse 4, he, goes on, he says that they are, um, they are poisoned. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. Now this poison... Uh, this is just having a bad spirit. If you have a bad spirit, you you have a poisonous. You infect others with your bad spirit. So um, he says the idea is that they have closed their ears to the truth. As Paul was talking about Christ, uh, he quoted Christ in Matthew. Um, in, in, he quoted Matthew. Let me let me say this again. Back in that, look over in Acts chapter twenty-eight. Let's just go there. This is the very end of the book of Acts. Paul's not dead. He's still teaching, still preaching, still uh, training others. Acts chapter Verses 26 and 27. Now, as, as, he's, as he's saying this, as he's closing, as, as being closed up his, his time as a prisoner in Rome, in, in, the, in the city of Rome, he's quoting actually Matthew 13, verse 15. He's quoting Matthew 13, 15. But he says, starting in verse 26, Go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall not see and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. 
Paul is just quoting what Matthew, uh, what Jesus Christ said in Matthew. The people have closed their ears to the truth. They closed their heart to the to, to righteousness. And he said they and, and they he need they need to start over again. And so in verse five, he back in the Psalm chapter fifty eight. That's what that's what the psalmist says. Who will not hearken to the voice of charmers? Their ears are closed, charming and never never so wisely. Their ears are closed, as we see in verse verse four, and they cannot hearken or they cannot hear. People, so that's that we've identified who we're talking about. Uh, they 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 are they are failures of the unjust. They are estranged. They've gone astray. Their ears are stopped. And in verse five to nine, David says, "Our God, though, is just in all of this. Our God is just." David cries out for vengeance, but he's crying out for vengeance not against his enemies, but but to make sure that he's right. Over the next series of verses here, David seeks justice from the only one that can justice can come from, and that is from God. So in this read verse five down to nine, he says, "Which will not hearken to the voice of charmers, charming never so sweetly? Break their teeth, O God, in their mouth. Break out a great break out the great teeth of the young lions, O Lord." Let them melt away as waters which run continuously when they when he bendeth his bow to shoot. His arrows let them be as cut as cut in pieces, as the snail which melteth, let every one of them pass away, like the untimely birth of a woman, that that they may not see the sun. Before before your pots can feel the thorns, he, he shall take them away, as with a whirlwind, both living and in his wrath. So he's he's crying out and he's and he's and he he's asking for justice. Now this is the imprecation part of the passage here. He's asking for for God to deal with the the, the enemies of him. And this is how you would pray for against this, a spiritual enemy as well. First thing you got to remember is that God is both just and the justifier, and we cannot replace him in this thing. Romans three twenty six says, "I say at this time I at this time his righteousness." that he might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. Okay, so the thing that David is seeking revenge, he is seeking revenge over his enemy, but this is a spiritual warfare, this is a spiritual enemy. He's not actually praying this against against Saul, or to, to God deal with Saul, this is how he's dealing with the spiritual battle that's been going on. The first thing he says, as we read in verse 1, he said, break their teeth, God. Disarm the enemy. What is the enemy? Notice in verse 6, Break the teeth, O God, and break out the great teeth of the young lions. Now we know that the lions are a picture of, of, the, of the devil, Satan. Uh, he's a lion that walks about seeking whom he may devour. God, break out his teeth so he can't eat me. He can't chew me up. So take away his weapon. Disarm them, God. Look at Psalm 57, verse 4. It says, My soul is among lions. And I lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp, a sharp sword. Verse 6 of chapter 58, break them out, Lord. And then he says in two things in verse 7. It's interesting, he says, let them melt away as waters. He also says at the end of verse 7, let them be... Uh, when he bendeth his bow, shoot his arrows, to shoot his arrows, let them be cut into pieces. So two things. First he said, melt them away, God. They're despised or rejected. They're, they should be dried up. They should be structurally destroyed to melt them away. No structure in their life, in the enemy's life. 
And then in the second part is to shred their weapons. That's kind of the thing. So just shred their weapons. Destroy their bow. Uh, imagine your enemy preparing to take a shot at you, his spiritual enemy, and, just, and the Lord disrupts the function of their bow, rendering it useless. Um, in Psalm chapter 11, verse 2, it says, The wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrows upon the string, that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. But David is saying, break their bow. Break it, Lord. Let them be cut into pieces. And then in verse 8, he talks again about verse 8. He says, to let their unjust behavior be stilled. And this is, this chapter, verse 8 is, make sure I'm in the right verse here. Yeah. A snail which melteth, let every one of them pass away like the untimely birth of a woman. Two things he gives us here. Um, Sort of a kind of a gruesome image about this, but what he's asking God is is to let their unjust behavior be stilled, stop it, to kill their unjust behavior. I don't know how many of you I know I did when I was a kid. Find a snail, get some salt, dump it on the snail, watch it melt. You might do that. Am I the only one that did that? Seriously, I am the only one. That, okay, at least one, a couple people. Thank you for at least standing with me. The snail killer. I wouldn't eat a snail. You know, people like that stuff. But, uh, you know, I just thought it would me and my friend, we would melt snails. I mean, I would try it once, eating a snail. Oh, well, maybe once. But after meeting, watching it melt, no, I don't think so. So, okay, so that's, you know, that's, so that's pretty disgusting. But you know what? What, what, he's, what he says here, too, the second part of what he says there about, okay, after the snail, is it like the untimely birth of a woman? It's a miscarriage. It's a very graphic situation here. The pain dealt by a, dealt to a woman by an untimely birth. That's what he's talking about. It's like, Lord, miscarry their behavior. Miscarry it. Destroy it. So literally, in their, in their, their spiritual wickedness, their unjust behavior, a plea from David that God would end the unjust, injustice of the wicked. That, that's a prayer that I think we all should pray. God, that the wicked, with inju- the unjust, I can't even speak, the unjust would be, in, their, their behavior would be ended. And then he shifts gears again in verse 9. And he said, before your pots can feel the thorns. But what that means is, basically, the thorns are, are, were used as a kindling in the fire. They would take the thorns, they would break, because they just kind of like... Uh, what's that tree? I can't remember the tree. Uh, hedge. Hedge trees have thorns on them. Hedge trees burn really hot, too. They're great firewood. And so he's saying, hey, before, your, before their pots could even feel the heat from that, from the hedge tree, from the thorn tree, uh, have the wind come and blow it out. That's, what, that's actually what he's saying in verse 9. Before your pots can feel the thorns, he shall take them away with a whirlwind, both living and in his wrath. So just blow them out. Just snuff them out with your, with your, with your breath, God. So David is seeking God to block the unjust from attempting to falsely deal with him by causing their disappearance, like dried water, by destroying their weapons, by causing their words to fall, fall to the ground with zero effect, and so on. But let me just also say this. He's not actually asking God to destroy Saul. That's not what he's doing. He's, he's addressing the spiritual wickedness that's in Saul. He's dealing with that. He's trying to correct that. 
And that's how we should always pray for somebody else. Not that God would destroy them, but that God would destroy the evil that's in them. Because once their evil is gone, you know, they can they can be restored back to back to God. If they're if they're Christians already, if they're saved, they can be restored. But if you pray and God destroy them, kill them, snuff out their life, uh, that's a rough prayer. But if you say, God, take the evil that's in their heart and wipe it out, that's actually a, a um, what's the word? I just had it there. A, um, I hate one. I can't remember words I was going to say. The, um, when you pray like that for somebody who is in, in an evil way, an, inju- an unjust way, it's actually a, a prayer of preservation. Let's just go with that. You're trying to preserve them by getting evil out of their heart. That's how we should pray for ourselves. That's how we should pray for others as well. Let me just say this. David's uh, prayer, oh, this whole passage here, um, he's, he's, this is, he's not praying against Saul directly, but he is, asked, he's, he is saying, God... Take the unjust ability. Take take away the unjust ability to destroy. Take away their ability to destroy others. Take away their their ability to remain intact. Don't let them be a functional uh, unjust person anymore. That unju- that the unjustness that comes out of their life would they would like reject it. I, I can't I can't be unjust anymore. I can't go there anymore. Take away the un- taking away the unjust ability to, to use the weapons of warfare. And take away the ability to reproduce themselves so that the evil will be stopped once and for all. And then he, he, he closes this up in verse, uh, verses 10 and 11. He closes this up as a victory in justice. Verse 10, The righteous shall rejoice when he seeth the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked, so that a man shall ver- say verily, There is a reward for the righteous, Verily, he is a God that that judges in the earth. So this is a contrast between the evil who would destroy God's people and the God of the universe saving those who are his. Verse 10 describes for us the victory of God over the enemy. When he talks about that blood in verse 10, um, it's a reminder for us of what's going on in Revelation 14, verses 18 to 20. Another angel came from the altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud voice to him it had the sharp sickle saying thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine from the earth for her grapes are fully ripe and the angel thrust in his sickle unto the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God and the winepress was trodden out of the city and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs this rejoicing that he's got in verse 10 is that God is vindicated and God is stands righteous over the whole circumstance of evil, injustice, and unrighteousness. This whole psalm speaks of Christ coming as well to claim his throne by the destruction of the enemy. This is the spiritual prayer, really, at the end of the day. It's a, it's a, I wouldn't call it a messianic psalm, but it definitely is a psalm about Christ, about Christ having victory. And then verse 11, the reward for righteousness is... The reward for you, for me, for all of us, when we're right, you know what, when we live in righteousness, when we speak in righteousness, when righteousness comes out of our mouth and heart and life, this is our reward. Justice by the judgment of God. 
See, the wicked are condemned. But we can avoid that condemnation. Romans 6.22, But now being made free from sin and become the servants of God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. That is our justice there. We must not lose sight of the truth that the justified are preserved. Romans 5.9, Much more than being justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through Him. We do not need to fear judgment of God from this point forward, for we have a just preservation. But we do need to realize that our just preservation uh, has privileges and, and, and behaviors that we should fulfill. So let me just wrap this up here and we'll be done. David was well aware of the injustice that he faced almost continually throughout his entire life. David could have taken revenge multiple times. We talked about it last year or last week when he was in the, in the cave and he had the opportunity to kill Saul right then and there. And there was one other, and I can't remember the passage, where David had an opportunity to confront Saul and execute him right then and there. Uh, and he didn't. He chose not to. He said, I am a just man and I will not, be, I will not act in, un, in uh, improperly in, in, in trying to force justice when it's not mine to, 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 to take anyway. He was also aware that prophetically that God would defend him, and through his judgment, he's not going to make any mistakes. He's not going to do wrong. If he just follows what God is saying, what God is talking about, what God is leading us to do, then, then we have the preservation. That's our justice in our preservation. So let's pray, and uh, we'll be out of here. Thanks for being here today. Enjoy the sunshine, and... Uh, Spring is just coming around the corner here. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for everything you do. Thank you for loving us. We praise you for the for the opportunity, Lord, to uh, to be just uh, because our preservation is just. And we ask, Father, for your your um, uh, your you to move in our life and help us to correct our ourselves, Lord. When we're not just, Lord, let us know quickly through your Spirit. Convict our hearts, Lord, and help our hearts to be purified. And, and, and the things that are in our heart that are wicked and evil and, and false, Lord, help us to remove those things. Lord, pull them out of us, Lord, and, and replace them with your word and with the spirit of your word, with grace and with mercy. And um, we just thank you for all that you do. We praise you for the, the passage that we study, Lord, to how we can apply these things in our life, that we might be the, a, an example of, of the believer in uh, word and deed. And we just give you the honor and the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Thank you. Oh. All right. Well, thanks for who everybody that's out there, and uh, sorry for the angle. Uh, I forgot my my phone stand. See you guys next week. Love you all.